3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends, just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put it all in context. So call me at 1 800 743 cnbc or tweet me at Jim Kramer. The market rolled over after today's Fed meeting. Dow slipping 266 points, S&P losing 0.54%. NASDAQ declining only 0.24%. But honestly, what did you expect? I'm not surprised by what happened today. I'm surprised that other people are surprised. And that's my take on what the Federal Reserve did today. Jay Powell didn't lower the boom on the stock market. He simply acknowledged what you and I know already. Business is really good, getting better. A lot of stimulus around, but it's still not good enough because too many people are being left behind, especially African-Americans and Hispanics. So, as the chairman said, interest rates need to stay low, but not so low that they drive up prices too much too quickly. A little inflation is a good deal if it means we can get a lot more people hired. Well, we've got some shortages right now for certain. You are going to hear about that later tonight. Powell knows he can't stop. He can't stop those shortages without throwing millions of people out of work which is a pretty severe solution for a problem that will ultimately solve itself. Emphasis on ultimately, but sometimes common sense shocks people. What? Is the Fed chairman supposed to be oblivious to the state of the economy? Well, that would make him a fool. Jay Powell's no fool. The jackals want to trip him up, but he refuses to give them what they want. The idea that Powell needs to figure out the game plan for the next two or three years right at this very moment is also absurd. When the Fed pencils in those two potential rate hikes in the second half of 2023, they're basically saying, hey, we got a real good economy. And if it stays this way, good. Well, if it stays this way, yeah, maybe we have to tighten in a couple of years. All right. We'll do it. Here's the irony. If Powell had said, and I quote, we don't see strength, we're worried about unemployment and there are no shortages, end quote, people would be freaking out right now because it would look like the Fed chief had lost his mind. Well, on the other hand, if he had said, oh, okay, the economy's overheating, it's time to taper bond purchases and raise interest rates, end quote, well, that would have made him look equally foolhardy and oblivious. An oblivious Fed ultimately leads to lower stock prices. Fortunately, unlike his critics, Powell knows what he's doing. The meeting in that sense is a watershed. Powell's left himself a lot of flexibility. He said, I uh, quote, we are a ways away, end quote, from taking action, quote, but we're making progress, end quote. I, I don't know why-, why that surprised people. If you thought we weren't making progress toward full employment, I I have only one question. What are you smoking? Maybe you should give the guys at MindMed a call because you're hitting the psychedelics a little too hard. (laughs) And if you thought we were making too much progress, well, then you know what? You really are living in a hawkish fantasy land. So what does this mean for the market? How do you adjust your portfolio? First, arguably, you don't need to do a thing. Earlier this week, I highlighted some work from Larry Williams, the technician I swear by. He warned us of a late June swoon. Well, guess what? Like I said on Monday, if you're nimble and you like to trade, you can take something off the table as long as you're ready to buy it back before the end of next week. The charts say don't buy, don't buy. And I give them more weight than the spots and dots that everyone's obsessing from for the Fed. I took that course, by the way. I aced it. Now, second, the Fed basically did nothing today except take itself out of the equation for the next six months. That was it. That means you should buy stocks that can deliver better than expected earnings in a low-rate environment. The reporters are all trying to get Powell to commit to some silly timeline, some timetable that would wreck the economy and probably not stop inflation. He's not playing that game, though. He wants people to make a little more money. Who said wage inflation is a bad thing? Most people except CEOs in this country are underpaid. He knows there are imbalances in the economy, shortages, because business didn't realize we beat the pandemic this quickly and there's been a huge amount of stimulus. But as Powell said, and I quote, there's a big group of unemployed people, end quote, and he doesn't want to leave them behind just to please billionaires, oligarchs, kleptomaniacs and useful idiots in the media who want higher rates. These inflation hawks are like the boy who cried wolf. They spent decades warning that hyperinflation is always right around the corner. They've been wrong every time. When Powell mistakenly listened to them in 2018, he nearly wrecked the economy before he changed course. Now we actually do have some inflation, but the Hawks don't no have any credibility in my eyes. Now I know some reporters will look at today's negative action and jump to the conclusion that the Fed's getting ready to take away the punch bowl. Couldn't be more wrong. Powell knows that demand for goods is very high. He knows that people are spending without taking down a lot of debt. Those are both good. Most importantly, he thinks the sources of inflation could abate on their own. Shortages ending, stimulus running out, rate uh, rate abatements winding down, COVID going away. So he'd rather wait and see that than start tightening. You know what it's called, what he's doing? There's a word for it. It's called prudence. I like prudence, especially when it comes to your money. I think there are a lot of grizzled financial veterans who can't believe their eyes right now because they're so used to the Fed operating in a completely different way. Powell doesn't want to operate that way anymore. He thinks we can have strong job growth and strong spending without causing too much inflation, something, by the way, we didn't see in 2019. In other words, Powell believes we can have some key lime pie and have a decent size, but not too big piece, smaller piece. If that's the case, then I think you should simply stay the course, maybe using this decline to buy some high-quality stocks, especially the industrials, right into the teeth of a downturn we anticipated here with the help of Larry Williams. With the Fed taking itself out of the equation for at least six months, maybe longer, the industrials have a lot more room to run. By the way, I include the technology stocks with the industrials. The problem right now is that the experts, from the economists to the reporters who follow the Fed, to the hedge fund managers who trade off the Fed's moves, see, they they just can't seem to grasp that Jay pal just isn't one of them. Never mind that he was a private equity guy. He's like no other Fed chief I can recall. Powell actually learned some of his mistakes. In 2018, he listened to the inflation hawks and spoke glibly about the need for three rate hikes. That blew up in his face. He quickly had to change course. Since then, he's approached his job with a sense of humility. He reiterated that today. He knows that it's hard to predict what the economy will do. So he wants to err on the side of a strong labor market, even if it means we have a little more inflation. Yet Powell's Powell's different. He isn't the tin man Fed chief like his predecessors. He has a heart that's very hard for money managers to gain because it's unprecedented. They're used to Fed chiefs who say, hmm, the economy's getting real good. Let's make it really bad. Let's hurt the working man. Powell just won't do that. For my whole adult life, the Fed had a zero-tolerance policy toward inflation. But it viewed elevated unemployment as a necessary evil. Powell has flipped that around. He has a zero-tolerance policy toward high unemployment. And he views inflation as a necessary evil. He's a central banker who actually cares about human beings. Of course, lots of very rich people don't like that Powell has a heart. They hate inflation, especially wage inflation. So they want to rip his heart out like the great scene in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Bottom line, sorry, Pal's heart stays in his chest. And unlike his critics, he's got a brain, too. Let's go to Mark and Marilyn, please. Mark. Hey, Jim. Big old Bucknell Bison booyah to you. Booyah, my wife on board. Booyah, Bucknell. What's happening? Hey, I was wondering what to do with slack. I, um, I bought it before the merger was announced, and um
2: feeling feeling, feeling pretty lucky about that. I mean, Yeah, well, have, that's why have...
3: it's time to ka-ching, ka-ching. Move on, man. You had, a great, you had a great hit. Don't turn it into a loss. I like that. By the way, I also like Salesforce as a used position for my charitable trust. Got a big call tomorrow at 1130 for Action Alerts Club members. I think you'll like it. Dante in Florida. Dante. Hi, Cameron. How are you doing? I'm having a good day. How about you? Great, Kramer. just want to let you know you're the man, and uh, we love you here in Florida, and you should come visit us. I love Florida so much. I was down there. My wife was down in Delray. I recuperated down there for a while. Recuperation is new for me. What's happening?
4: Awesome. So, Kramer, my question is about Norwegian Cruise
3: Lines. Yeah. With the stock being down around 40% from its pre-COVID price,
4: and with these cruise lines seeming as if they can't catch a break because of all these incidents, like the crew members and staff testing positive for COVID-19, do you believe I should hold... You, you hold that because it's
3: Frank. Frank, it's Frank Del Rio and he's 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 going to get the job done. I am with Frank. I wish also, by the way, that everybody would be as considerate as Frank is. And then we could go start sailing without any worries at all because he he's the man. All right. Look, the Fed chief. I know this is a shocker. The guy's got a heart. He knows a little inflation is good if it means more Americans can get jobs, particularly African-Americans and Hispanics. And what does it mean for your portfolio? Buy stocks that can deliver in a low-rate environment. Oh, man, tonight, forget the milk and cereal. Is it time to add some stock to your shopping list? I'm going to sit down with the CEO of Albertsons, just virtually, to see if it's worth picking up. Then, looking for a stock to consider to protect against rising inflation? I'm eyeing Lionel Bazel to see if it could do the trip. First time on, Mad money. And with Centene soaring after its investor day, told you, is it worth circling back to that stock? Earlier this year, when we realized that the vaccine rollout was way ahead of schedule, a lot of us gave up on the supermarket stocks. We figured that they'd get hammers. People stopped stockpiling food, started going to restaurants again. Yet it turns out the grocers are doing just fine. Take Albertsons Companies, which runs a network of more than 2,200 supermarkets across 34 states and D.C. under 20 different brands, including Acme, Safeway, Shaw's, and of course Albertsons. I know you've been to them. I've been to a whole bunch of them. This thing just hit a new all-time high last week, up 11% for the year, even just pulled back a couple of bucks in the past few days. company keeps putting up good numbers, in part because they've spent a fortune remodeling hundreds of stores, investing in technology to boost productivity and improving their digital offerings. Plus, whenever you hear about people fretting about food inflation, that's usually a win for the grocers. They're the ones charging you more. So as we approach the first anniversary of the Albertsons IPO, can this thing keep running? Let's take a look with Vivek Sankaran. He's the president, and CEO of Albertsons. Learn more about how his company's doing, where it's headed. In back. welcome back to Mad Money.
7: Thank you, Jim. It's great to be here, back
3: with you. You know what? I'm thrilled about that you're here because a lot of people doubted you, except for me. All right. You know what? They doubted you because they said ah, nobody ever makes any money in the super business, supermarket business. But you showed us how you could, and you did it. What were a couple things that really stand out that you did that people doubted you would do?
7: Jim, the pandemic helped us accelerate our strategy. Uh, it just, you know, there, there were a number of things we're doing. You can see the first principle was running great stores. You see what you see behind me, focusing on our fresh portfolio, our own brands, and making sure people had, could shop the full variety of whatever they needed in our stores so they can finish the basket there. Once we had the stores, we put a, a fabulous e-commerce, accelerated our e-commerce business on it. Uh, it accelerated uh, 200% through the year. Uh, that engaged most shoppers, gave them the convenience, and then the loyalty program on top of that uh, was a virtuous cycle, got them more and more engaged. And we've uh, gained market share through the through the pandemic and um, gain, continue to gain market share. So we're thrilled about our relative performance.
3: Well, let's let's talk about the consumer. One of the things that you said in one of your presentations is that they're still buying the discretionary stuff. They're still getting it. They're still buying the fresh flowers. They're still doing a lot of things that we didn't think they would do. Why? Why, did, why are we not able to game the consumer?
7: The consumer is strong. The consumer is really strong, Jim. So during the pandemic, while they stayed at home, they anchored down on cooking a lot at home and on the fresh portfolio. And, 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 and they upgraded. They traded up on meats, prime, prime beef. They traded up to shellfish. They traded up to premium wines. And they have stayed with that behavior. Um, even today, we are selling so many flowers, right? And flowers is a discretionary item, but consumers are engaged in it and they're still engaged in all of those things. They uh, they developed a habit around uh, during the pandemic. And so we're excited about that because our portfolio plays to that.
3: All right. So that guy's watching these reporters Hey, they get me angry. They're talking, asking the Fed 100 different times, why are you allowing inflation this, inflation that? How bad is inflation and how bad is inflation for Albertsons?
7: Yeah, so the inflation is higher. It's, uh, let's say, between 3 and 4 percent. If you just do the math on different months and normalize for it, it used to be typically 1.5 percent. So it's a little bit higher. And it's, you know, it's important. It's, a, it's a 3.5. We shouldn't take that lightly. But that said, It's happening in an environment where the consumer is really strong. And we haven't seen the consumer yet affected by that level of inflation. I don't know where it's going to go over the next few months, uh, Jim. It could go a little bit higher. But again, we have a strong consumer. Now, when it comes to us, you know, to the extent uh, if we ever get to a place where we are not able to pass through that inflation, we have a fabulous productivity agenda uh, to support it, to support anything we need to do on the pricing. But we're far away from that, in my opinion.
3: You are really branching out on your loyalty program. I I hope people realize, but you've got to be in the top 10 loyalty uh, loyalty programs already. But from your presentations, you've got a lot more to do.
7: Yes, 25.4 million members in our loyalty program as of the end of last year. It grew 20 percent through the year and it continues to grow. Uh, It's a classic case of when people shop more, and they concentrate their shop, the loyalty becomes even more valuable. So once they engage with us, they're engaging digitally on, in a loyalty program. So we learn more about them. We're able to give them more personalized deals. We're able to engage them in a wine tasting, a cooking lesson. And so they engage even more with us. And that's the beautiful virtual cycle of the loyalty program. And we are gonna to continue to invest in it. Uh, it's a wonderful franchise that we have, and we're rolling it out in more parts of the country. So we have more upside on that.
3: You can help me with something that I think the Fed chief was not able to articulate. If we have 5.8 percent. Oh, no, you can You're a common sense person. You've got millions of people who who go through your stores. If we have 5.8 percent unemployment, uh, why is it harder to find workers now than it was when unemployment was 3.5 percent? That doesn't make sense to me.
7: Yes, Jim, you know, we can have a number of debates on. Uh, what is behind it, if the stimulus has been part of it. But in my opinion, there is so much pent up demand and you can see it, you you can go to buy a car and it's difficult. So there's so much pent up demand everywhere uh, and that I don't think our supply chain and our labor pool has caught up. Um, And so to me, I think that's the gap. My my belief is that it'll sort itself out over the next three to four months. Uh, But it has, I think, caught all of us by surprise. In our company, though, we have not seen it to the same extent as what you might see in restaurants or other services. Uh, we feel good about where we are, given the mix of our labor force.
3: Well, let's talk about freight and supply chains. If I went to your app to a Shaw's, and I love Shaw's because it's really good, or ask me where my mom always shopped, would I find yeah. open spaces and shelves where you really, did, where you, there was no merchandise?
7: There'll be certain spots where you'll find that, and at certain times. So the supply hasn't caught up uh, to what it was in 2019. We're, and it's kind of spotty, Jim. Some weeks we're fine. Some other weeks we might have a problem in a particular category. And we're starting to see that uh, as the summer comes up and demand picks up. But you'll find it in certain, certain categories. Um, yeah, it's spotty, but it's there, uh, unfortunately.
3: But wouldn't we prefer the strong consumer than having too much supply? I'd I, I like both. both. We all want both, sir. We, we all defend both. You want both. It can't all be all perfect. I
7: but, know, but, but think of the, 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 the other message there is that we have a strong consumer. We've all got spotty supply issues, which means we all have more upside um, when this thing stabilizes from a supply standpoint. We all have more upside, more growth available to us.
3: Well, look, Vivek, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show. Congratulations on exceeding what everybody thought you could, except for me, because I knew you had it in you. And I like Albertsons very much. Vivek and Karen, president and CEO of Albertsons. It's a good stock for this environment because of this man and because of his big team. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Jim, for your support. When the stock was 1560, 16, I love stocks like this. I said, look, this is the kind of stock you're looking for. You go up six points, five points, make some money, do well, and that's what it's done. It's going to do it again, man. money's back here for the break.
5: Can a company with roots in making plastics make more green by going green? Kramer's going one-on-one with the top brass of Lionel bazell to talk sustainability and more about where they're headed next.
3: Since we got excited about the vaccines last fall, the classic cyclicals, wow, they've been on a roll, including chemical companies that I, haven't, I don't spend enough time on. Companies like Lionel, Bazel that make the building blocks of the economy think the polys and the ethies. However, this stock has struggled to gain traction in recent months because lots of money managers worry that the second quarter could be the peak for the broader economy. And they don't, may not feel different after what the Fed said today. But according to Lionel Basel, it could take another year before supply and demand equalize, meaning we're a long way from the peak. In fact, this company has been pretty aggressive about building new capacity. They just opened a new polypropylene facility in South Korea last week. Lionel Basel's also gotten religion when it comes to sustainability, with a plan to reduce their carbon footprint and pivot to making more recycled plastics. Best of all, last month they announced a 7.6% dividend boost, and the stock now supports a bountiful 4.2% yield. Pretty enticing when you consider that this thing might have a lot more upside. But don't take it from me. Let's check into it. a first time Mad Money guest, Bob Patel. He's the CEO of Lined Up by He get a better sense of the company's prospects. Mr. Patel, welcome to Mad Money.
1: Jim, thanks for having us.
3: Well, but your company is one of the most exciting companies we could have on today because the Fed spent a lot of time talking about too much demand and not enough supply. Yet there are a lot of people who follow your company who say, hey, listen, there soon will be too much supply and not enough demand. Is the Fed right or are these critics who say that supply is going to overwhelm demand right? Which one?
1: Well, Jim, if you think about through the pandemic, Demand really surprised to the upside, especially in packaging, because of the take-home take uh, food and all of that sort of movement. Now, as we sit here today, we're about halfway through reopening in the U.S. We still have reopening in Europe. We still have reopening in many parts of Asia ahead of us. That all means more demand. Secondly, if you think about the chip shortages that have resulted in automotive production shortfalls, Demand for automotives is very high. In fact, the print recently indicated April annualized would be about 18 and a half million units sold this year. Um, Furniture, appliances, I could go on and on. So many different products are in short supply that eventually that need will need to be met. And then lastly, we're going to have to restock various supply chains at some point. Today, companies like us, are running as hard as we can to meet current demand, and we still can't meet it all. So I think we're going to see demand stronger for longer, and the business environment is going to be stronger for longer.
3: Well, in light of the fact that the Fed, even though people feel that they started moving their way toward tightening, but they're obviously not going to do that. Chairman Powell said that. Then it seems to me that you're tracing out something that could mean that we may not be even at a peak next year at this time.
1: No, exactly. And the debate that's going on today is what's transitory and what's structural. Well, I would submit to you, maybe it's not binary. Parts of what we're we're seeing could be transitory, but wage increases, the longer uh, supply shortages. I've heard that the chip shortages may not resolve themselves for two more years. So I I think we're going to have a higher price, higher margin environment for quite some time, well into next year, perhaps even into 23
3: but in one of your conference calls, you said something that really stuck with me. And it wasn't I read it again in preparation for our interview, which was that this Superstorm Uri came and people weren't ready for it. And surprisingly, it's really hard for many of us to understand that you can't that you could have a factory that could be hit and you can't fix it in a week. How many of the and where are we down there? Because, boy, has that ever turned out to be the heartbeat of the world
1: for chemicals. So, first of all, we've never seen something like what happened during URI. Typically during hurricane season, we have advance notice if we're in the cone of uncertainty with any of our sites, T minus six days, and we start to slow down, we have a safe orderly shutdown and what we call a clean shutdown so that after the storm passes, we can go through our recovery effort and start up quickly. What happened during URI was a sudden power outage caused our plants to essentially crash down So there was a lot of damage in furnaces, uh, and the freezing actually broke a lot of pipes. Because remember, most of our plants are outside in the environment. Um, Never have we had the entire Texas Gulf Coast industry be hit like that. And we were likely as an industry on average down 30 to 45 days. Wow. Jeez,
3: that's incredible! I, mean, I would have. That explains so much to me. Now let's talk about some things that you personally are doing that my friend Frank Mitch told me about. You have something. Uh, you have basically a no layoff policy at Lion Del Bezo.
1: So look, for years we've stayed very lean, and I said to our employees that during the pandemic that was the test of whether we were lean enough, and sure enough, we didn't have any layoffs. We paid merit increases. We continued 401k match. I wanted business as usual for our com- for our employees so that they could focus on the task at hand, safely producing products for our customers.
3: Well, and then I got to ask one that my kids always tell me to ask guys in your business. We don't know how to recycle plastic, Big Island of Plastic in the Pacific. What is Bob Patel doing
1: to help this? We're doing a lot. But first of all, let me say a word about plastics. Last year, you saw the, the role of plastics in full bloom. So whether it was PPE for medical workers, keeping food fresh, delivering the food to, to, to people who ordered carryout, plastics are, enab- are an enabler of everyday life and, frankly, a very sustainable material. What's not sustainable is plastic waste. We've got to address that. So it's going to, Jim, it's going to take a multi, a, a cross-value chain effort to, to to end plastic waste in the environment. I'm vice chairman of a uh, alliance to end plastic waste, which includes chemical companies, converters, brand owners, uh, retailers, and waste handlers. Today, the bottleneck is getting enough waste out of the landfills and into these recycling plants. I do think on the other end, Consumer brands are willing to pay what it takes to incent investment for recycling. So recover, recycle, reuse, close the loop. That's the answer to address plastic waste.
3: Well, it's got to happen. And I know you're working on it. I know you care passionately about it. And just because you're in the business doesn't mean you don't want to try to stop the waste. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Bob Patel, CEO of Lionel Basel which has done a remarkable job. And if you don't believe me, look at the chart. Thank you, sir. Thank you for coming on Mad Money.
1: Thank you for having us.
3: Mad Money will be back after the break.
5: Coming up, what does the post-pandemic recovery mean for a company that helps connect countless Americans to their health insurance? Kramer dons the scrubs and checks in with a stock that could make you money.
3: Next. everybody's obsessing over the Fed's dot plots and most stocks got hit. I want to focus on something that roared, Centene, the managed care company that specializes in government-sponsored health plans, think Medicaid. Here's a stock that has been on a roll for the last month and a half, and it jumped nearly 4% more today, third best performing in the S&P, after a very bullish Investor Day event. While Centene was pretty candid about short-term pressures that are holding them back this year, management gave you an incredibly optimistic outlook for the future, talking about long-term earnings growth in the mid-teens. In response, Centene's stock jumped to a two-year high of 75 and change, then slip back to 73. This is a level where the stock has previously run out of gas, so can it keep climbing? Let's dig deeper with Michael Nightworth, the straight-shooting chairman and CEO of Centene. Find out more about the company's message today and where it is headed. Mr. Nydorf, welcome back to have Money.
4: Thank you, Jim. Good to be here. Thank, thank you for having us on.
3: All right, Michael, there's a moment in your uh, investor day uh, where you say, and I thought this was, I mean, because I know you, I know that this was trying to drive the point home. You said, before we conclude, uh, I want to reiterate, uh, you said I want you had a couple points. First, our absolute priority is margin expansion. Second, margin expansion. So I think you were trying to make the point to us that you are going to have margin expansion.
4: Absolutely. We, we have been bracketed at 2.6 to 2.7 net margin. I've been mean, unhappy with it. We've had a lot of growth but we hadn't leveraged it. We saw this as the opportunity to do it. I had done some research. I had Taneo and some others doing research with investors, and it was clear that they rightfully were frustrated with it. And we, we, They wanted transparency. We saw what they wanted. We said, it's time we start to deliver because we have the assets and resources to really provide value and unlock value.
3: But that would mean that the great acquisition period <laughs> is over, and now you're going to try to figure out Say even what real estate is, uh, is, not, uh, is not needed, uh, what systems you can change, what technology can help you. That's what's going to happen now.
4: Well, yeah, I mean, we're still going to grow. We're still going to we're gonna continue to improve the profitability, as we said. And we would do an acquisition. What We'll be doing tuck-ins and smaller ones. And I've told investors, if we ever did a large one, it's because the accretion on that has to be more than what the stock buyback would be. And I don't see us doing one short term, but uh, you know, if something stood up, kind of wigglerism was very accretive. Of course, we're going to do that. But I, I see this as a time to consolidate, to deliver on the uh, expectations of the net margin, and do all the things we've talked about.
3: All right. Now, because uh, of who you are, uh, you started out your day by talking about a recent settlement involving your pharmacy benefit management. Could you manager, could you tell us why this was settled rather than fight it? Because it did make me feel like that if you'd fought it, you might have won. But why it's important to get it past you?
4: I think there's no doubt in my mind that we would have won had we fought it. If you look at it, it was in 22 jurisdictions, potentially. The time, the distraction over the next three to five years to fight this in 22 jurisdictions. And, you know, if you lose one, then you have to appeal, and you'd win on an appeal. But that, that totally, and the cost of that, when we know lawyers and legal expenses are not cheap, we said no. Let's just put it behind us. I, I say historic. People around here like to say the past. Put it in the past and just have it done. And that's precisely what we did. It's no fault. It was a no-fault settlement. And we assumed no, no responsibility and did not admit to anything. But it's now, it's now going to be behind us.
3: All right. Good because I didn't want that overhang. Now, Biden administration and Democratic-led Congress health care agenda, potential September or October reconciliation bill. Now, you have told me over and over again, if you get if the Democrats got a majority, perhaps they could rework some of the ACA, make it so even more people could be covered. You and I have gone over the fact that there are whole states that have not benefited. Can that happen in September, October?
4: I think, I think we'll, what we, will, we should see is whether subsidies are made permanent for the ACA, things of that nature, and, and they go below 100 percent of federal poverty level. They will do things to try and ensure that, as it should be, every American has access to high quality care.
3: Now, one of the things that's happened today is the Fed was under fire for inflation. Now, the inflation that they're under fire for has a lot to do with shortages. I'm not hearing any more about medical, health care, pharm- pharmacy inflation. Did, has that peaked?
4: No, I don't think it's peaked. I think on the pharmaceutical side, we'll continue to see new drugs. I mean, we just saw a new Alzheimer's drug that, um, you know, they're talking about $52,000 a year or something for treatment. And the panel voted against it. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of mixed messages there. I I have to tell you,
3: the evidence was not that great for that one, Michael. I was surprised that they think they can charge that much with the evidence not being that great. And nobody's pro Alzheimer's, for heaven's sake.
4: Oh, no. No, I think what's interesting, I mean, I used to be in some and these panels are pretty responsible in what they do. We I mean, look how quickly they approve the uh, vaccines for COVID. But uh, so I think if anything, it just says costs of pharmaceuticals will continue to rise.
3: Yeah, I definitely feel that way. Now, how about... I mean, the stock reacted so well to what you said. Do you think it was because you said, I'm not going to do any more acquisitions or you're talking about the possibility you're going to have huge cash flow next year? I mean, is it the possibility that you can buy back all the shares you want if you kind of stay away from uh, making big acquisitions? Because the stock is still historically cheap, Michael.
4: Oh, it is. No, I think I think it's uh, we clearly laid out one we're committed to improving margins. Two, we're gonna give a lot of transparency to what we're doing, that we're very focused on it. That we're not, that we are, um, capital deployment will be one, the statutory reserves running the business, two, retiring debt, because we're very close to becoming IG in our bonds. And that's important in case rates do start to rise, we'll keep our cost of money down. And then we said, we're going to buy back stock appropriately. And uh, we do that on a 10B5 so that nobody can say we took advantage of a particular time. So put all that together, it said that we're going to manage the assets and unlock the value, that we spent a lot of time building the company. We're a Fortune 24 now, Mm -hmm. which, which we're very proud of. But now it's time to really leverage that when you have the assets and the digitalization, the systems, the technology we have. Putting those to work is incredible, and people are starting to see some.
3: Well, I'm thrilled you're doing it, frankly. I thought after the Fidelis, I said, geez, I hope Michael just kind of just take all these great systems and make them into us and centene them or Nydorf them, because it's time (laughs) to do that. Michael Nydorf, chairman and CEO of Centene. Stock really soared today as it should have a long time ago. Great to see you, sir. Likewise. Good to see you. Stay safe. Guys, inexpensive stocks. All of them tonight are inexpensive stocks. That's what I'm looking for. That's how we set the show up on a day when the Fed did whatever it had to do. And that's what you should be buying. Not value, not growth, not all that stuff. Inexpensive stocks, upgrade companies. Mad Money's back after the break. Just chill out. Is Chill Master Jay? The chill man is in the house. He's happy.
5: The lightning round is coming up when Mad Money returns.
3: And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Steve? dead. Time for the lightning round. Kramer's to start with Lisa in Missouri. Lisa.
1: Kramer. Lisa.
7: Thank you for picking up. I really like to know what you think about Martin Marietta. On
3: ah, Well-run company doesn't need the stimulus, doesn't need the, uh, simul- the in- infrastructure package, just needs for this country to stay on course. It might be a little rocky here, and, uh, but I like it. Let's go to Walter, North Carolina. Walter Booyah, Jim Booyah. From Walter in North Carolina. Okay, what's Thanks up? For taking my call. Sure. What's your show every night and have for many years? Thank you very and much need your expert advice. Sure. Many analysts say Bank of America is the best financial stock to own. Their stock performance in the past five days cannot not confirm their optimism. It is down a dollar six or two and a half percent. Today their stock closed at forty one sixty two, up thirty cents. My question, should I buy at this low price? Well, Walter, we're saying that over the next four or five days, there's going to be some weakness in the market. But I agree that Bank of America is an excellent institution. And if you think rates ultimately will have to go up, which the Fed certainly said, Bank of America is going to go higher. So I am in favor of holding and then buying a couple days from now. Now we're going to go to Daniel. And thank you for the nice comments. Daniel in New York. Daniel.
6: Hey, Jimmy, how you
3: doing? All right, my brother. What's shaking with you? Um, I'm doing great. Uh, now, my question is regarding CRISPR Therapeutics, ticker CRSP. Here's the problem with CRISPR. If they called it anything else other than CRISPR, people wouldn't be drawn to it. But people are so into CRISPR stuff, they're like, oh, let me buy this one. I got to tell you, I honestly would prefer to see you in Vertex, which has just got hammered, or Regeneron, where the news is very good. Can I go to Quentin in Georgia? Quentin.
1: Jim, thank you so much
3: for taking my call Oh, today. my pleasure, Quentin. What's going on? Jim, so three years ago, you hit a
1: grand slam with your recommendation of uh, AMD. Thank you. The stock is about 20% off its highs, and it's been consolidating for about a year. Um, we've also seen a record increase in uh, shares short uh, to about $85 million for the past three months. I, I understand the, mer- uh, the merger uh, arbitrage. But um, AMD announced a four billion dollar stock buyback plan in the UK and said that they're going to finish their approval process with uh, with Zilink, uh, July sixth.
3: Right. Uh, well, look. Let's look at it like this. I mean, first it was in May. Let's look. May of last year, it was at, it was at fifty two. Now it's eighty. Uh, Lisa Sue is doing an amazing job. Here's what I think happens ultimately. Okay. I think when that xylene steel closes, that stock just soars. I'm urging you to buy it right here, right now. Can I go to Zach in Texas? Zach. Jimmy, a big booyah. What's up, Jimmy? I don't know. A lot of things are up. Looking good. was good today. What's going on? How about a stock? Hey, hey, man. Life is good. Money is good. At the end of the day, it's all about the money. Jimmy, I got 140 shares on AT&T. At- and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round
5: is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, the coast is clear as COVID restrictions fall in New York and the Golden State. Kramer looks back on an unprecedented year. Next.
3: Queen. You are super. You are awesome. I'm a first-time investor. Thank you for inspiring me to get in the game. Your show is the best. I am so glad you're
0: on TV. I want you to know that you have transformed me. Thank you, Kramer.
3: Momentous. New York and California open. And that's on the front page of The New York Times. You know we've done something incredible. Two of the biggest, hardest-hit states have lifted nearly all of their COVID restrictions. At this point, that might not feel super impressive, since we've been gradually working our way back to normal for a while now. But I want you to remember the dark days of last year, when something like this seemed impossible. The classic case? About 13 months ago, The New York Times Magazine published a piece by a fellow by the name of Michael Steinberger, where he castigated me for being too bullish. Listen to this, quote, my skepticism only grew when I saw Jim Cramer, yeah, he's still around, on CBC saying that bears like me were betting against science and basically selling the country short, end quote. He said I reminded him of, quote, otter student court remember that one, the proration, in Animal House. First of all, that may be the best non she's scene in the entire movie. Uh, if I'm Otter, what does that make this guy? A, a Niermar, Team warmer? I mean, <laughs> you really want to bet on those guys? <laughs> but, <laughs> but putting aside the gratuitous Animal House reference, meant to be hurtful, of course. Uh, this greed uh, was arguing that only a stooge could actually believe that the drug companies could beat COVID-19 in the near future. Basically, that's what I believe. It's exactly what I believe. I told people to buy stocks because of it. And this Steinberger gentleman, well, he he thought that was totally absurd. Fast forward nearly a year later and this guy was wrong in every particular, except that I'm still around and apparently I still have the charisma of a Tim Matheson. If you bet on the science and bought stocks, you made a fortune because we got a vaccine six months later. Now, I don't mean to pick on this Steinberger fella. I mean, is he still around? He's just a representative example. A year ago, lots of very smart people thought the sky was falling. There was no way we'd be able to beat COVID in a reasonable period of time. But me? And I, I, I do what I always do. I mean, I actually did some homework. Some homework on Moderna. We'd had the CEO, Stéphane Bancel, on the show several times. I knew this company had the technology to crack the code of the virus. The same way a safe cracker can crack a safe, except with billions of permutations. I talked to the people on J&J. They assured me that COVID could be beaten at scale in time. Time to save millions of lives. I spoke to a very confident Regeneron about how they were working on a drug to get you out of the hospital quickly. I talked to the Pfizer guys. They're pretty darn bullish. These pharmaceutical CEOs all said and by the way, and their researchers, too. I didn't stop there. All said the same thing. Do not give up on us. We are working around the clock with the smartest minds on the planet and the best tools, including artificial intelligence fueled by high-powered tech hardware. I knew these folks were right because those were the same kinds of people who took those really hard science classes at college that you had the good sense to drop out of because they could have ruined your transcript. Can you imagine if you listened to the bears like this fella 13 months ago and shorted these stocks, especially Moderna? I mean, they were the first to crack the code. All sorts of technology firms behind them, including, by the way, the brains of NVIDIA. That's right. If you shorted stocks a year ago, you really were betting against America. You think I I like saying something that corny? But I had to say it. Because it was true. Why is this important besides my obvious vindication? Because we're still living with the consequences of last year's bearish conventional wisdom. It's why we have so many problems with inflation and supply chain interruptions right now. Most CEOs schooled in the Great Recession only had one response to a downturn. They dialed back business as quickly as possible, lest they be caught with too much inventory as demand evaporates. But this wasn't another Great Recession. Thanks to the drug companies, the Federal Reserve, and even our elected officials who passed multiple massive bailouts, we basically beat this thing. We've got all these shortages uh, the, because companies weren't planning for a post-COVID environment and didn't count on Washington to provide so much stimulus to make it so consumers so rich. If you have a job, and honestly, who can blame them when the conventional wisdom last year was so absurdly bearish? I can blame them. I was speaking to every major drug company last year and their researchers. There were times also when the Treasury Secretary practically had me on speed dial. calling called homework. It's very easy to be cynical, especially a year ago, when thousands of people were dying from a novel virus every day. But if you actually did the homework, picked up the phone, made the call, did the emails, did the texting, made, again, double check on the homework. You knew one thing. You knew not to sell America short. What can I say? Since the bottom last March, the Dow's up more than 16,000 points. And sorry, Mikey, I'm still around. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise sure you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.
2: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery.